This is Being Better, the podcast about the science behind mindsets and practices that make us happier, wiser, and healthier. My name is Julia Spohr, and I am your host. Join us as each week we break down scientific research and bring you true stories of people from all walks of life to help you make better decisions that will shape your tomorrow. your posture, get a tall glass of water and just get your shit together. Um, but I know that that is definitely easier said than done. So um, I think you can pick two out of the three. Um, I'm going to allow that at least. Um, yeah, how are you doing? How are you? It's been a minute. I hope that you feel fresh and energized by the summer or if you are in the southern hemisphere that the winter is treating you well and that you are ready for this wonderful chat in which I was joined by Dr. Heidi Kane from UT Dallas. We had a very inspiring and like eye-opening conversation about relationships and about attachment theory on which she is an expert and all the science behind the different attachment styles. Uh, we talked about what role does physical contact play in relationships, so how important it is and how it can actually have an influence on your uh, physical health. We talked about how we can improve our social skills and how in this society there is a pressure that I think we all feel to be very extroverted and confident and how actually people in romantic relationships are treated better than people who are single and that single people are kind of sort of discriminated actually. Um, we talked about why marriage is so hard and how it is different now from what it used to be in the past. Uh, we discussed how the pandemic changed the way we connect uh, with one another and yeah there's so much more in this conversation I really loved it I, like I said it was very eye-opening um, a lot of the things that we discussed I had no idea about so you will hear me saying wow really a lot in this conversation and I really really love talking to Dr. Kane she is an expert on attachment like I said and she has an in-depth knowledge on this subject because her research examines how social and cognitive processes shape interpersonal experiences and how these experiences then impact relationship dynamics and health. Some of her current research has examined the association between daily relationship experiences and sleep uh, among married couples and psychosocial processes associated with cortisol uh, among youth. She also examined stress and coping processes in couples with special emphasis on social support processes using an attachment theoretical perspective. So without being said, she's just an expert on this subject. And I think you will really love this episode. I, I know that I did. So if you feel like you struggle in social situations or want to improve your relationships in your life or are simply curious about your 
personal style of attachment. Tune into this discussion with Heidi Kane. Surprise, surprise, you thought that the episode would start, haven't you? Uh, well, no, it's still me. I just wanted to have a quick disclaimer that when we started recording for like the first a minute or two, um, some dogs came into Hades' office. And so you might hear some barking, but I promise you it's just for like the first minute or two or three and then it ends. So I just want to say that if you are a dog lover, great you will enjoy it if you don't it will not last long okay that's it i'm good now now please enjoy the episode hi heidi i'm so so happy that you are joining me today i am so excited about this conversation i've been looking really looking forward to it I really wanted to talk about this topic for a while now because I feel like it is so crazy that no one really teaches us how to make and maintain um, like healthy relationships given that all aspects of our lives uh, depend on it. Like we are just expected to know everything there is to know about, you know, how to make connections just like when we pop out of the womb. And I feel like... Uh, we are expected to have this perfect emotional intelligence and, and we are expected to be extroverted and just like happy to be with people 24-7. But I feel like there are so many people who actually feel insecure or inadequate because um, they feel like they don't fit in and they don't um, fulfill those expectations. Uh, and I think that's actually most people. Um, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I could just ramble on about this topic, but um I feel this is so important. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that my doctoral student, Denise Williams, she's proposing her dissertation right now, and she would like to, it's almost like a relationship skills training, but mm. for college students. So things like, how do you meet people? How do you know when this is a relationship that is one that, you know, maybe should end? Like, mm. that this is not one to stay in. And then how do you do that? How do you navigate conflict, which is inevitable? So yeah, I think that's something we've been thinking a lot about. And also in terms of COVID, for a large part, at least the college students haven't been on campus, or if they've been on campus, it's been more minimal. Um, so for example, a lot of us are teaching courses where you can attend online or come in to, to class if you want. And so fewer students choose to come into class as the class wears on. A lot of people show up in the first couple of weeks and then it dwindles. But how do you sort of navigate being in around people, being in relationships again? Or even mm. with my, I'm rambling a little bit, but it may, with COVID, even with my kids, it was a little striking how it affected them and how they thought about other people, particularly at the beginning when you would see someone, even if you were just walking outside, we didn't know a lot about COVID at the time and you know you're crossing the road to avoid them and create more physical distance between yourself and them and then that's what that's what kids are seeing mm -hmm. like people who yeah. usually approach and say hi and wave and now you're saying hi and waving but as you're walking away it's a very different experience yeah exactly yeah it's I feel like it's so much I'm so like curious maybe I don't know if that's the proper response but I am curious about like how the pandemic and um isolation will impact right children who are growing up and how that will impact um, them being you know adults 
um, making up the society in the future because um, like one of the things that I wanted to talk about is like the role that relationships and attachment um, and how close and how much time we spend with people, how that influences um, our development. Because I, I realized that in psychology, there is a lot of research done on um, what is the impact of children like growing up isolated um, or, you know, somehow abused um, in a sense that, that the, they didn't get adequate caring from their parents so can you like explain a bit more about the role of attachment of you know quote-unquote love and and relationships on like human development and can you become and also maintain you know being a, a, a healthy and fulfilled person without relationships well I think you asked maybe like 50 questions in that one question, but um, <laughs> so I'll try and approach it a little bit broadly, but yeah. um, because there's different ways of thinking about isolation, different ways of thinking about being in relationships, but maybe that relationship is not fulfilling all of one's needs or the relationship is harmful in the case of abuse or neglect. Um, so there's all kinds of different aspects of relationships, per se. So attachment theory, basically it's a, it's an interdisciplinary theory with evolutionary roots and the, the idea originated by John Bowlby, but the idea is that young children maintain close proximity to their caregivers because they are, they're dependent on their caregivers pretty much for everything. And so they use their caregivers as what we call a safe haven in times of distress. So they move physically closer. They seek out um, comfort from their caregivers when they are distressed. And then they use their caregivers as a secure base when um, they want to go out and explore with the idea being that I'm gonna go out and try something new or I'm gonna go further across this room than I've been before, but I know you're there. And if I need you, I can turn around and come back to you. And knowing that you're there is gonna help sort of help me navigate this new and novel exploration uh, more securely. And so um, John Bowlby coined the phrase that attachment happens from the cradle to the grave. Mm -hmm. And as we grow and in adulthood, um, we form attachments or these social bonds with um, our romantic partners. And our romantic partners become one of our central attachment figures in adulthood. So we use our attachment figures, our romantic partners, both as secure bases and safe havens to help regulate emotional security, psychological security, feelings of safety, and, and love, as you say. And so yeah. attachment bonds are really strong bonds. And one of the hallmarks of an attachment bond is if, the, if you're separated, it creates a large amount of distress. Um, so, so that's sort of like, the basics of sort of guiding, like like norm. I guess what we what we call normative processes in, in attachment. Mm -hmm. And part of this, there's uh, comes with this idea that we have this need to belong. Oh, right. And this need to belong is been argued, and I I fall in the camp of agreeing is that it's a it's a fundamental need. And part of this is derived from the idea that um, 
through our evolution, we evolved to be in social groups because in social groups, we had basically a reproductive advantage. We were more likely to survive and reproduce (laughs) in groups. Um, And so when, when we, so we have this need for social bonds, for acceptance from others to feel like we Mm -hmm. belong in this group and, and, you know, you think about it in a safety felt security regulating way, but it, mm. it's beyond that. We want to feel understood. We want to feel that people know who we are and accept us for who we are. Um, and that can be across many levels. Mm. So it's, that's not just within one's romantic relationships, but it can be across uh, many levels within friendships, within family, within neighborhoods, within communities, society. Uh, you can have ex- of a belongingness across right. all of those different social ecological levels, so to speak. So you said um, that the way that we kind of first develop attachments to our parents as children influences, you know, later on um, our different relationships and um, relationships with romantic partners. And I'm curious, um, can you expand a bit on, uh, because I, I know that there are these uh, couple of main um, attachment styles and and how they differ. Um, and also, if you developed one, is it, is it something that just stays with you or can you change it or work on it uh, or like is is one better yeah. than, than than the other then so their your attachment growing up can affect your other relationships but um people can have different um like attachment to their parent and to their partner um or their current partner or across different partners um there's different reasons why within like domain of partners things uh, your attachment may be more stable um, because your attachment style, as you said, are, can affect how you interact with others, which can affect how they respond to you and your expectations of them, yeah, right. which can affect how you view all their behavior, like the lens with which you view it. <laughs> um, but attachment uh, style, so as I talked about this like security or uh, regulation process, there are different strategies that are employed if one's caregiver or attachment figure is not readily available or inconsistently available mm-hmm. um, that people may develop based on that. So if one's, and I'll just, I'll just say in adulthood, if one's partner is not there for them all the time, one may develop more of a what has been termed a hyperactivating strategy. So they are more, oh. um, basically they're hypervigilant to what their partner is doing. They worry whether or not their partner mm. will love them, love them in the future, will reject them. And so um, they are very sensitive to different cues from their partner about whether or not their partner loves them and is there for them. They make, um, there's uh, research suggests that they, seek out a lot of feedback from their partner. Mm. The idea being is that they don't expect their partners to be there for them all the time. And so now they're watching their partner a lot with these worries and concerns about being unloved and rejected for signs of being unloved and and rejected. Oh, so it's kind of like a confirmation bias in a sense. A, 
A little bit, yeah. And so those are some of the processes that may maintain some of these attachments. So if I'm always expecting my partner to maybe not be there for me, mm. I might interpret their behavior in a more negative light. Yeah, for sure. Um, or I might behave in ways um, that, uh, so for example, um, if I'm seeking support from my partner, that's a, a bit of a vulnerable situation because your partner can be there to help you or not. And if they're not, that's a sign that maybe they don't care for you or your well-being. So maybe you seek support in a more indirect Mm. way so that you don't have to come out and sort of put yourself out there. In doing so, your partner doesn't understand exactly what you need or maybe miss that you need support because you're not saying it. And then they don't provide the support you like or that you need or want or um, support at all because you're trying to sort of hint at it that that you need help with something rather than directly saying Mm -hmm. it. So that is uh, what we call anxious attachment. Um, Sometimes it's called preoccupied um, attachment Mm -hmm. style. Uh, But um, the other one is more dismissing or avoidant. And that is if you don't expect your partner to be there for you at all. So you develop more self-reliance, independence, a lack of comfort, of leaning on others for help or support, a lack of comfort with intimacy, um, in part because you, the idea is theoretically that they're, you know, your partner's not going to be there for you, so you're going to devalue some of those things. Mm. Um, and I should mention that when we first, when they first started measuring attachment style, it was a category. There was a little paragraph, and there was like, does this paragraph describe you, or does this paragraph describe you? So very categorical, right? <laughs> Um, yeah. And the and this was you know, being driven in, in part by the developmental literature, but now attachment is really thought of as more dimensional. So you can be higher in attachment mm. anxiety or higher in attachment avoidance or lower on them. So it's not necessarily that you are placed in a category. Um, and researchers have been looking at the stability of attachment over time and and what and what changes and how people change and there can be events in one's relationships that might lead to changes in attachment or a particular partner um Mm. but as I said you know there are psychological processes at play through which you interpret your partner's behavior your expectations that could maintain some of the those attachment orientations Mm. yeah 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 I mean I think it's kind of uh, important. Like I, I realize that you shouldn't. We shouldn't like just um, mindlessly follow the labels. But I think like being able to identify the patterns of your relationship is is very important. And I assume that there is a, a, a style that is a healthy one. And and I think if one realizes that oh I have the the anxious attachment style or or the avoidant one. What would you recommend um, are things or practices or mindsets that one can work on in order to to strive for the healthier style that is kind of the ideal that we, we all strive towards? Yeah, so I think a lot of that depends on, I guess I'm thinking more of like relationships specifically. And I'm trying to think if I could think of any like interventions to 
alter one's attachment style. It's a little bit like saying like we need to change your personality to some degree. Oh. So, but um, do you think what we ca- we have a lot of influence then on like uh, you know we realize this is my attachment style. Do you think that we actually have power over it, like to change it? Well, I think so in the sense to the degree that I can think about situations differently or. I'm trying to think of an example. So say like my partner is late to meet me at dinner. What is my first thought? Is mm-hmm. my first thought my partner doesn't care about me? My, this is just another example of them blowing me off. Or is my first thought, oh, maybe they're stuck in traffic or maybe this, you know, something must have happened. So I think you can, in terms of like, trying to think about different expectations. I think you could probably, you could modify those. I'm thinking like it very similarly to, to thinking patterns that CBT tries to modify. But now I'm thinking about, I don't, I don't know if anyone has tried to do that. It can be hard. And there is some research showing that, you know, if you're with a secure partner, Mm. I think people tend to become more secure because they have more and more evidence. Right that saying that their partner's there for them. Mm-hmm. I was reading the other day, um, and I didn't get to read the whole paper, but it was interesting looking at, so many years ago when I first started reading about attachment theory, the idea was like the majority, at least in America, it's different. Um, there were, There's kind of different distributions in different countries based on different cultural values and things like that. So that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But yeah. that like about two thirds of the people tend to be secure. And then, um, oh. and then you have, uh, so there's more secure people and then you have insecure ends. But, uh, this one paper that's I was so, reading. That's a, such a hopeful, uh, statistic. I think, I think tends, well, like I'm saying, this is very broad and yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 years, 20, yeah, 20 yeah. years ago, but, um, on average, but now it, it, it does look like perhaps some people, um, people are becoming more dismissing. Oh, really? Then they were in the past or more avoidant. Um, but do you think it's because we are more individualistic these days? I'm not sure. I think I'm not sure. And like I said, I just was looking at that paper the yeah. other day. So I, I can't comment on exactly why they thought that was yeah, happening yeah. either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, but I just thought it was interesting and it's, I mean, Western, U.S. culture is highly individualistic. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think so too. Like, um, we are taught to like rely more on ourselves, and I think also like with the traditional family model being um so much less, I guess, popular. Um, I think this kind of makes us more focused on ourselves first and foremost, which has its pros and cons for sure. It's interesting to think about, and I will say at least, sorry, I'm, I'm flipping topics a little bit back to your COVID question, but there there was some initial data that came out showing that, you know, some people felt closer to others during the pandemic because now they're like, oh, I could, I'll just, I can, like, people were talking to each other more online than they had in the past. Oh. Or, um, so, so there are, I think there were opportunities for, like, increasing social connection, but the physical contact with others was decreased Mm. but people were like trying to reach out in other ways and perhaps talking to but this is so interesting other ways that they hadn't before or even family members maybe they 
weren't talking as much and now they're like, ooh, now we're Zooming all the time. Yeah. <laughs> or talking on the phone. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I that I found that this is true as well for me. Like I had a, a lot of relationships like that improved during the pandemic. Like people that I didn't really like my friends from from abroad that now I had suddenly the time to to speak to online because it was like a, a normal thing now to just like pop on a hop on a zoom zoom call um but you said something um you know that physical contact was decreased, and I'm curious uh like what sort of a role does it play like in relationships because like since for a lot of people they felt closer to you know to their partners or like family or friends in the pandemic, maybe then physical contact is not as important as we think? I don't know if I would say, I think physical contact is is pretty important. There's a lot of great research on like physical touch and stress reduction of physical touch and health benefits of a, of a hug. Mm. So I think physical contact is, is really important. I But I think, you know, as you talk about there's different ways of being close to others and in the absence of being able to be in the physical presence of others we're able to utilize technology to to try to to maintain closeness with others yeah so in a sense that it's like so interesting that at the same time like technology makes us more individualistic but also gives us all these tools to connect to to other people and i don't know I think it's all about how you use it. Yeah, probably. You could use it to, I don't know, if you, well, there's, you know, different types of social media users. There's the people who scroll Mm -hmm. and, like, keep up with things by scrolling. Yeah. And then there's people who actively engage with others on social media. It's like attachment, like online, online attachment styles. (laughs) So, yeah, so and those have different, potentially different outcomes, right? Yeah. But, like, uh, I, I'm curious now because you said there would like there are so many like health benefits of a hug. Can you like mention a few? Because like I'm now like I'm trying to. Uh, I think that's so cool. Yeah, there was um, one study they looked at hugging and like daily physical contact and susceptibility to colds. Oh. And so if you had more hugs, you were less susceptible to coming down with a cold. Oh my god. Um, there's been studies looking at stress responses and um, like physical touch. So are you able to hold your partner's hand when having something stressful happen? Or in this case, I think it was like a, a shock versus like a ball versus a stranger and other various things. So we, I think we do know that like, like physical touch is, is really important and oh, yeah, I think there are other studies looking at different types of physical touch to help reduce pain. Oh, right. Uh, I think those types of things are really, really important for for health broadly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's so like interesting that our like whole body is like designed for relationships that we evolved in such into like such social creatures that even to maintain our immune health we need to you know remain in in close contact with people i i mean i i often think about even language for example right because like it's the main way that we maintain relationships is through language and like at this point language is such a fundamental thing for us that we often cannot think 
of things that we cannot name. Like you often cannot interpret and think about your emotions or thoughts or feelings if you don't have a word for them. You don't know what is going on. So it's like if you are not able to describe something to a person, you are not even able to feel it or think about it. Um, and I don't know, I just find that language and like that plays such a huge, huge role in that as well, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I think and one thing with relationships, I, there is a heavy emphasis placed on the romantic partner yeah. in relationships, but I also think it's important, important to note that was when we say relationships are important for your health, it doesn't mean you have to be in a romantic relationship, yeah. but because there's lots of people who have very fulfilling friendships and um, family relationships and those types of relationships that, um, so I, I don't know, remember what the year was, but like U.S. News said, you know, in order to be happy, get married. I just, that's a little bit flawed, right? <laughs> oh, because there's, you know, research showing yeah. that married people live longer and there could be a number of explanations for that maybe if you're healthier you're more likely to maintain a relationship and get married maybe there's um economic resources i mean also the the social piece of it too but what what really matters is the quality so the quality of your relationships rather than just being in a relationship and that we've seen across many studies and different health dvs that the quality of your of your romantic relationship um, is what matters most. If you ha- you're in a poor quality relationship, that can be, uh, that can be uh, damaging to your health. Oh, I really love that you said that because I feel like along with all of those expectations for people to you know be extroverted and confident and 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 want to be with people and open, I feel like the ideal person you know is in a relationship, and therefore a lot of single people are you know insecure or sometimes kind of like discriminated if you think about it like in the terms of like laws and like economic um like privilege if you are like in a relationship so I really love that that you said that that it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship and you can be a healthy happy fully functioning person just with um your network of friends and, and family yeah and it's I mean I, I think it's also I mean there's some research looking at like your social network diversity so how many different facets of your life do you are know people um, and see people and engage with people and there's some evidence to suggest that you know social network diversity is um, important for your health uh, not just not just social network size oh. but I also think um, what something important to keep about is is humans are very variable and we all have variable needs about how many close relationships we need to feel fulfilled and some of us have fewer close relationship needs other others us have have more um and and part of it is yeah i think another thing is just the quality Mm. i might have many friends but if i don't think my friends are there for me i don't think my friends understand me or actually accept me but these are the people that I kind of hang out with then that is an instance where those friendships may they are not fulfilling my need to belong so to speak Mm. you're actually kind of like blowing my mind here with uh with the facts like I I didn't know that diversity and like the kinds of relationships in the areas of your life is like uh 
is so important i guess it makes sense but like i i never really thought about it and like these days diversity is such a like it's a topic that i think it's broadly discussed but not i think in a terms of like the benefits of it so this is actually super um like i i'm i'm kind of shocked well i think yeah well i well when i say di- a social network diversity that is a term that's used to say like do i have friends in different facets of my life so do i have like my mm. work my work friends do i have a close bond there as well as mm. if if i go to church or religious services do i have a close bond there do i have yeah. another hobby where i have a a close bond so for example my mother's in a smocking guild so she has a close friendships in this smocking guild mm. um so like across like across different facets and area of your life rather just within yeah that within one area yeah and like it's uh my favorite thing is like when you learn about things that are good for you like for your health also make you kind of a better person so when you increase the diversity of these kind of relationships then you kind of uh, end up a more open-minded empathetic and capable person like within emotional intelligence and interpersonal skills i mean i also would love to talk about those like let's uh kind of talk about that because this kind of grinds my gears in a sense that yes we are kind of expected to be extroverted but no one ever teaches us how to do that and that emotional intelligence skills actually are skills it's not something that you either like uh Uh, have or don't have is like I think something that you develop so do you think there are some ways that if we are you know anxious or not really confident or not really um extroverted that we can work on those skills uh and um yeah I'm curious about your opinion just anecdotally yes I, I think that's what they for, I mean, they have these are for for younger kids, but they have social skills groups where oh. you go and the younger kids just essentially play with other kids that's facilitated, and so they can work on those those types of interactions. Um, I don't necessarily know what what types of skill based training they might do in adulthood, but it it, it you know like I said, my students <laughs> maybe it should, should be similar. <laughs> like there's social skills groups. That's right. We all need social yeah. skills groups. Um, I could use one too. Uh, but yeah, me too. But like, I think it will be interesting to see if like the type of intervention my student is wanting to try for her dissertation, if that is something that could be implemented. I think there are things like that out there, but it would be wonderful if there were more or if there were different, you know, ways to scale up implementation of teaching of those kinds of skills. Or like the diversity thing. Of course, it's it's great to have diverse friendships just across the board. People from different backgrounds. And it helps with empathy and perspective yeah. taking and all the things that, yeah. that you said. Um, and have you found something like in yourself, like some kind of situations that helped you gain those social, like emotional intelligence skills? I don't know about those particular like kinds of skills. And this is anecdotal, but what helped me become more comfortable talking in front of people because I was, I'm terribly shy in public speaking was is terrifying. Um, mm. 
And that's really hard if you want to get up in front of a classroom of students and teach. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that. Um, so what I ended up doing was teaching group fitness classes. So oh. then I'm talking to a group of people, but I have to do it to the music and be really excited about what I'm saying <laughs> to the music, to the beat. Yeah. And um, it was terrifying. And I, the first couple of times I was sick before like going in there to teach. And I'm sure it was terrible the first many times. But um, that really helped me to kind of just more, I guess, acclimate to, yeah. to being nervous in front of people. That's a such a cool thing like uh I guess it's kind of like fake it till you make it you know like you have to be so energetic a little bit <laughs> and like excited and just like so like confident like as a teacher in a sense so it kind yeah. of like it was a lot of fun though I mean there's something about you telling a group of you know 25 to 50 people to um punch <laughs> in the air and then you see all the little hands going it's or that's no, a bad example I think that's actually uh, I think do a jumping like, like also like in that in that situation you are in like a place of authority which I think uh-huh. makes you work on your confidence levels because like in order to like um tell people what to do you have to kind of you know believe in yourself and like establish yourself uh, as a person who like you know is kind of giving commands so I think being um a teacher or you know helping someone in something actually that may be a very good practice in like if you want to improve your social skills like you know teaching something to someone or helping someone because I think then you can really um, practice like seeing your value and um, noticing that you you actually can be very helpful and you have so much you know, experience and worth that you can share with others. So I think that definitely like for me, like doing this podcast in which I am kind of, um, you know, giving advice um, directly or indirectly, like through other people, I think that helped me for sure, like um, establishing my self-worth and seeing that, oh, actually, you know, I can be helpful to, to people. Yeah. You, when you're saying that, it got me thinking a little bit about like feedback you get in real time because part of what's anxiety provoking is you like you said you don't know what others are thinking when you're doing it and and being rejected it it it, it's stressful and scary and thwarts that need to belong and be accepted right so I was just thinking about this group fitness paradigm and in this case when you're like when you're looking out People are responding right away. You can tell if people are really into the workout and what they're doing or if they're not. It's it's pretty clear kind of what's going on. Whereas in the classroom, it's really hard to tell. Um, one of yeah. my favorite experiences is I had this student in, when I was a TA in one of my classes, and I thought she was bored out of her mind the entire <laughs> time. She's so bored, didn't want to be there. I thought she was falling asleep. And she came to me later and wanted to work with me in my lab because she enjoyed my teaching so much. I could oh. have just fallen over when she said that. Because yeah. I was like, really? Are you sure? <laughs> because it's so hard to read 
uh, I don't know, I find it much harder yeah. to read students in an academic setting than mm-hmm. in that. So I'm not, so in that you're getting like feedback, like this is working, continue doing what you're doing, this is working. Whereas in the academic setting, you're like, is this working? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but like, I think like in in normal, like regular day-to-day situations, I think this is like such an important factor as well. Like we overthink um, all of those like nonverbal cues, I think all the time. And I personally have uh, something that you would call arresting bitch face, um, <laughs> which is like people like walk over and be like um why are you sad or why are you angry or is there something wrong and I'm just like no I'm just just sitting and thinking right um, with uh, and like it looks like I have you know my bitch face on right. and I think like this is a uh, as a chronic overthinker I can also like relate to that and um maybe we should give people like the benefit of the doubt and just like assume that maybe they don't mean the worst. Um, and yeah, I think in a sense, that's why I like being an optimist. Maybe it's like uh, lying to yourself a bit, but I think it's kind of better to assume the the better option, just yeah. like for the sake of like staying calmer. Well, optimism t- tends to be positive for your health too. So. Oh, really? That's cool then. It's, it's interesting because for optimism, you might think that people who are optimistic wouldn't necessarily um, have better health behaviors than people who aren't. Because you're like, well, if I'm an optimist, no matter what I do, it's going to work out, right? But really, you're thinking, <laughs> I'm going to be living a long time. Things are going to be good. I want to take, take care of myself and be there for all these good things that are going to happen. Yeah. Or that they're yeah. like, can happen. I think like, I, I assume that um, optimists are the people that usually have like a secure attachment styles because like they're expecting the, the best outcome probably from their partners as well, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that optimism, it has, has some correlation with attachment security. I mean, their mm-hmm. attachment security is really tied to your like expectation of your c- close others, but mm-hmm. um, which is likely related, which is I'm sure related to, because it's also related to things like self-esteem and... Um, other okay. processes but um but I I mean I, I I think it's different from just optimism across the board so mm. to speak yeah like you said that um you know your attachment is dependent on your self-worth and self-esteem and it's kind of interesting that the relationships that you make with other people actually are dependent on the relationship that you have with yourself and like you should start with that first and foremost and that is like the first thing like if you are really if you want to improve your relationship you feel like your romantic relationship or friendship is not working then before you start trying to heal that you should do some inner work you know yeah I mean I think that's that's something that I hear people like say just sort of analytically, well, I've got to work on myself before mm-hmm. I can be in a relationship or that kind of thing. And I don't, I don't actually know from a clinical perspective, like the research on that, yeah. but at least from, from my perspective, I think those things are often really heavily mm-hmm. tied. And I guess they're, you know, to the extent that we learn about who we are 
and how we handle things mm -hmm. by our interactions, our social interactions with others. So we get a lot of information about ourselves um, through social interaction. Mm -hmm. but yeah. So I think I think it's, it's an interesting concept that I a good answer to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I wanted also to uh, talk about some misconceptions and myths that we often have um, about relationships and attachment and love and I think um, that from the scientific perspective I wanted to ask a bit about monogamy and uh, and polygamy because I think this is something that a lot of people start to talk about and kind of question uh, like why we are mainly monogamous and is it like the only choice out there or is it healthier in a way or like, um, I think this is something that a lot of people never question. And when I was preparing for this conversation and I was thinking about some misconceptions that people have about love and, and relationships, like first it struck me, like we, we think of ourselves as, um, you know, penguins and, and, and swans who, who mate for life. Um, but I actually have no idea about like the science out there, whether that's true. I think there's just a lot of variability. It's also culturally tied um, to what cultural norms are. Mm. And my very unscientific answer is it depends, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually yeah, investigated yeah, yeah. that that question all yeah. too much. I would, if, if you asked me that in class, I would say, ooh, great question, I'll let me get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, um, I don't know. I, I never really questioned it myself before. And when I first heard about like polyamory and stuff, I was like, I don't know. I felt like uneasy. And I think this is like the, the culture aspect that you said, like I was brought up. But, yeah. I was going to say, is it uneasy because of these cultural norms yeah, that we yeah. have um, that I don't. Yeah. And it's I, like a, an interesting how much culture is also like a factor in the way that we think about relationships because like you said the attachment style that you have is dependent on the expectations that you have and the expectations that you have are dependent on the culture that you were brought up in and the culture is kind of like for us these days it's like the movies um like the the books that we read or the stories the legends that we we've been told um and in a way, I think people, maybe the people are a bit more cautious now, but I think like, I wish that my parents were a bit more careful about the movies and media that I was exposed to. Uh, and I think like, when you, as an adult, rewatch some Disney movies, for example, you can get a bit... Like it, it's not it's not really something that I would like to show to my children personally. Yeah, I mean I think it's interesting. So when you're talking about expectations of relationships, they're derived from many places, which are all sort of existing within the broader culture. But as you mentioned, media, so movies, books, TV shows. Um, but we also have celebrity, and we also have all of those types of things you also have your own experiences 
in relationship. Yeah, and like stories and families. It's stories and families. Your so your experiences, your the experiences you observe from your family members, stories they tell, friends, and all of those things can make up sort of our can drive our expectations. Of course, all of those are occurring within our our cultural context. Mm. In what is in what is perceived as desired or not desired or acceptable or not acceptable um you know yeah and even in time too so we look back at a lot of things with our 2020 lens and you we cringe now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh and, and like when um you know as a as an attachment scientist um have you seen like a like, is there a, a difference in, like, the, the trend of, like, the way we think about relationships and, and attach? I, I, I remember that you said uh, that we are a bit more avoidant these days. But, like, along with the media and, like, shared, like, culture and tradition changing, do you think there... Uh, there is a trend that we're coming like there's something that we're um, like a change that is approaching or like that we are currently uh, under um, development Uh, I mean I I don't know if I would say that necessarily and um, I'm not sure if we're like coming up on some big movement and change about how we think about our relationships but there is a, a lot of researchers have been talking about the idea that right now in our relationships in particular, our primary romantic relationship, we expect a lot out of our partner. So we turn to our partner more for everything. We turn less to our broader social network. And and in some cases, we are spending less time with our broader social networks and we're spending, and we're expecting more of our needs to be met from our partner. Hmm. So Eli Finkel talks about this. Um, he has a, he has a book about it um that is so interesting like i like i agree i i have like it is happening i never really questioned it before but maybe it might be like also like the pandemic thing that we are just like close to in our homes with the partner with the closest family and um i feel like these days what a lot of people are lacking is the sense of like a broader community and like you said, like the diversity of the kind of relationships that you have is influencing your happiness and health. Yeah, like I, I probably it's something that we should all like think about and like what kind of communities we can um, establish in order to focus on that as well. Yeah, and I think it, it's interesting to think about. And you were talking about recommendations, but he has a really interesting podcast uh, or he was a guest. I, I think he did a couple of podcasts, but... The one I, I listened to is the Hidden Brain, where he d- discusses um, some of the ideas that that he has in his book about marriage and how marriage has changed over time, and um, all right, and what are the expectations now versus um, before, and changes in happiness in marriage and um, those t- types of topics. Mm, that is also like super interesting because. Um, like I've been just, I think yesterday I, I was talking with, uh, with a friend that, you know, through history, like if you think about the, the history of humankind, I guess, marriage was always more like an economic proposition rather than just 
like something we do out of love and so I think there's a lot of pressure on like you know being with the one and like the person which also like is a callback to to monogamy versus polygamy and it's just like find that we need to find this one person that we're supposed to mate with for the rest of our lives but if you like think about our species and um, just civilization overall in history marriage was rarely thing we did out of the quote-unquote feeling of love and uh this, I think, puts a lot of pressure on people. And I think this is why a lot of marriages fail, actually, because we put so much pressure on it being this fairy tale love. And uh, it wasn't really supposed to be that. Uh, I mean, I think love plays a role in that. But first and foremost, it was always like an, like an economic thing. Yeah. No, and um, part of what he talks about is that exactly that you know, before it might have been um, an economic arrangement. Uh, and even prior to that, it was just, a, you know, I need I need help in the bakery. We need two bakers um, to be able to run this shop. Uh, but so, yeah. like, he, he does kind of talk about sort of this kind of social changes in in marriage. And then now what we're talking about love matches and the idea of love driving the connection mm. between two people. Mm. well I have so much fun talking to you and I feel like this is like relationships and um our anxieties that we have and we have so many towards like uh <laughs> other people and um speaking and I feel like I personally even though I've always felt like I love being around people I'm such an overthinker still and like people think that I am like super confident just because like um right I just love talking love meeting new people but actually like I struggle with like how I am perceived and I think if we have more conversations like this we can make it more known that actually most of us struggle with this and it is a skill like everything and you can improve at it so I hope that um for other people, as it was for me, this can be helpful. Uh, and yeah, and I want to thank you so much for, for doing this with me. Sure, of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, so if people on the internet want to like learn more or like reach out to you or ask questions or learn more about this topic, do you have anything that you would like to share or like... Um, sources or like how can someone find you um do you want to say anything directly to the listeners sure i mean you can find me on my lab website <laughs> the close relationships and health lab if you have any questions please reach out via email well go there to ask questions and find more research onto that and all the links like to the NPR podcast that will also be in the episode description if you want to learn more again Haley thank you so much for coming and um yeah I hope we can speak very soon all right thank you How about you? But I definitely learned a lot, which is one of my favorite things, actually. Um, before we part ways, I just wanted to 
pop on here for a while just to kind of catch you up because uh, the episodes recently were not as consistent and I don't know some things happened in my life for example I just cut off all my hair actually I am just sitting here in a very cute little pixie and if you want to see that you can check out my Instagram Uh, it's in the episode description and yeah I just went through an identity crisis and um, traveled a bit went to the meditation center like I said and I just wanted to let you guys know how things are how am I doing and I've been just resting a bit and trying to figure out my relationship and my plan from here when it comes to creating and this podcast and other passion projects that I have and I'm gonna be honest with you guys there is something cooking up and there will be a change to this podcast right now you don't have to worry about anything there are episodes coming and there are a few interviews that I'm really excited to share with you but if further on in the future there might be like a bit change either there is going to be a new podcast which is exciting also so kind of look out for that uh, or this podcast might take on a slightly different format so if you feel like you don't hear me as often as you used to just think of that uh, that there's something else cooking up and I'm also trying to figure out my personal life as well which is hard and like I said I'm kind of going through an identity crisis um but it's all fine I'm all good and happy and healthy um I think like some people reached out to me recently which was super sweet so I really appreciate you guys being here I hope that you are doing well um I know that Heidi recommended a podcast about Uh, relationships and marriages so that will be one recommendation but I think I also wanted to recommend you something myself and I'm gonna recommend you a show actually that I've recently watched which is High Fidelity which is like a twist on the movie that I actually haven't seen but I know that there is a movie Um, but there's also a tv series on Hulu I think starring Zoe Kravitz and I really loved uh, the vibe and overall themes of the series and it's about relationships and about music and about creating and like finding yourself um and uh, some like barriers to entry when it comes to becoming a creator and artist and feeling kind of misunderstood so i don't know if you are feeling like watching something kind of inspiring but also funny high fidelity on hulu or i think i watched it on disney plus check that out um i hope that you are feeling great if you feel like you want to reach out to me or ask me a question just because i'm not uploading as often or i haven't been uh, uploading as often on here doesn't mean that you cannot you know dm me on instagram or send me a email or anything of that sort I am my doors are always open uh, so to speak so I hope that you are doing well I want to ask you to please take care of yourself if you can of someone else too and I will speak to you in the next episode being better is edited and produced by Julia Spohr you can learn more about the show and about other work over at our website beingbetter.info and the Instagram is at beingbetter.pod. 
If you want to support us, the best way to do that is by word of mouth. So if you can, please tell your family, your friends and what the hell, also tell your enemies. You know, we don't discriminate on this podcast. So tell them about the show, tell them about why you like it and about why you like the incredibly amazing and very humble host. You can also share it on social media platforms and if you tag us, we'll make sure to reply. Thank you so much for joining us today and I'll speak to you very, very soon.